a time of so much information, but so little understanding. A time of so many opinions, but so little truth. We need wisdom. God loves when we seek it. God gives when we seek it. Hey, well, we're continuing our summer message series in the book of Proverbs today, and what we're going to do is we're going to analyze a contrast. Now, the Bible is full of contrasts. We see it in you know, the way of the life and the way of death, the contrast between the wicked and the righteous, the contrast between good and bad, the contrast between foolishness and wisdom. And today what we're going to look at is the contrast between humility and pride. Consider this statement from Proverbs chapter 11, which says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Basically what the Bible tells us is that humility is wise, pride is not. But I wonder if you're like me, you might hear this topic of humility versus pride and think, you know what, I, I don't know if I really need this message you know, I, I, I kind of see it and I go, you know, maybe I'll look through the other menu of podcasts or messages from other churches and go, you know, I want to look for some encouragement or some peace with, a, you know, a side of, of good storytelling and humor. But, but being humble and, and avoiding pride, that's, that's not really something I'm interested in. Because I would assume most of us would say something like this. I don't need to hear about being humble because I don't struggle with pride. It's kind of like, no, I'm good. But when I think about that posture, I'm reminded of an experience when I was dating my wife early on. We went to meet her family for the first time. We end up on her grandparents' farm, and it's a, it's a warm summer day. But something weird started to happen to me. I started to feel uneasy. And it wasn't an uneasiness that felt like nervousness. No, it was an uneasiness that felt like nausea. I started to get a little lightheaded, and somebody noticed me maybe appearing a bit funny and said, hey, are you, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm good. But then two things happened after that. One was fortunate. One was unfortunate. The fortunate thing was I went for a swim I, and there was this nice pool with an awesome diving board and you know, I, I jump off the diving board and, and you know, as I plunge into the water and all the bubbles of that cool, refreshing water just completely wrap around me in my warmth and I'm just like, oh man, this is so refreshing and I, I'm like swimming around in there. And that was the fortunate side. The unfortunate part about this was that that entire sequence and experience of me in the pool was actually entirely a dream I had between fainting and hitting the floor and waking up to see everybody hovering above me. Like, what a, and there's never a good time to faint, but I mean, think of that moment for me. Like, what a, what a way to start off, you know, my experience with my wife and her family. And, you know, it's currently, you know, the first and currently only time I have ever fainted. We, you know, we chalked it up to heat exhaustion and dehydration. But, but the point of it is this. I was not the best evaluator of my health in that moment. I thought, oh, I'm, I'm good. And I would gently suggest to myself and to all of us that we are not the best at diagnosing ourselves. We're not the best at examining ourselves and evaluating where we are really at. And I think that could be true with the topic of humility and with pride. The thing about this, though, is that we do not want to get this wrong in the slightest because it is a very important theme in all of the Bible. Consider places like Micah chapter 6, which we're told, He has told you, speaking of God, He has told us, oh man, what is good? 
And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We just finished a message series in the book of First Peter, and we see in First Peter as well in the New Testament, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so as we want to pursue wisdom in this series and in all of life, we might need to do as Proverbs 4 would tell us to do, to ponder or give careful thought to the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. But a second potential problem is, is this the very undertaking of talking and teaching on humility. It's a bit of a dangerous task because even for myself, and maybe you're thinking this too, like, who am I? Who is this guy to teach us about pride or humility? Like, did Central Heights just look through their list of teachers and go, yeah, you know what? Let's pick the most humble and least prideful pastor to give this message. Is that what we did? I don't think we'll ever find out because, look, even if I were to offer an answer for that, you do not know if you can trust that. You do not know if that's accurate. I do not even know if that is accurate. So what we have to do for the next several minutes is lean not on my words, not on things maybe you've heard in life before about this topic. We need to lean very closely to what God says, to the words of God and the spirit of God speaking to us. So if you don't have a copy of the Bible, either on a device or hard copy with you, I'd suggest you get that. I would suggest you grab a notebook and maybe try to capture some of the references to scripture as we go throughout because look, we do not want to get this topic wrong. It's a big and significant topic and God has a lot to say about it. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So as I was praying about this this week, and I believe God led me to some imagery that might help us out here today. And, you know, every illustration kind of breaks down at some level, but I think this, this imagery helps me a lot. See, I would envision pride and humility sort of in terms of tactile objects. And what I think God was leading to is the fact that, you know, humility is like a key, but pride is like a lock. Now we know like keys, they're all about access and opening and entry into something, whereas locks are about restricting movement and, and limiting opportunity, limiting access. Keys enable, but locks disable. And some of the things we're going to see is that, wow, you know, as we examine this topic from the, from the perspective of God, from the wise perspective, what we see is that humility unlocks for us blessing and wisdom and good for ourselves, good for others, glory for God. But pride limits. Pride restricts. Pride doesn't lead to that kind of life. Every place we see humility talked about in the Bible, it's always in context of leading to growth, leading to flourishing. But every place we see humility talked about in the Bible, it always leads us to limit and to emptiness and even destruction. And so we need to get this topic absolutely right. Humility is a key, but pride is a lock. So what are some of the things that pride would you know, lock us out of? And what are some things that humility would unlock for us? Well, one of those things would be that humility unlocks good for ourselves and good for others. Specifically, maybe we would wanna talk about influence because humility is inspiring. Humility is persuasive. Humility is influential. I've always been fascinated by 
um, the expeditions up to Mount Everest and you know the just the grueling task that is and the achievement of people actually succeed at it and for a long time this had been left unconquered but in 1953 the first men arrive at the summit of Mount Everest Tenzin Norgay along with Edmund Hillary now Edmund Hillary later known as Sir Edmund Hillary gets a lot of fame and a lot of you know uh, stuff connected to this significant achievement he becomes really known worldwide for you know his skill in in accomplishing this and a few years go by and eventually he's recognized on a trip to the Himalayas uh, a bunch of tourists recognize him while they're up there and they're like hey you know could we grab a photo with you and and Edmund Hillary you know he obliges them and they kind of are assembling for this photo and and they realize you know we want him to look the part in this photo and you know with what he's got on and what he's holding you know we, we could do a little better so one of them hands him an ice pick just to you know look the part in this photo that they're gonna take and in the meantime, somebody else, another tourist is there, notices what this group is doing and assembling, but doesn't realize it's Edmund Hillary. Walks up to the first man who conquered Mount Everest, proceeds to grab the ice pick and say, Sir, this is not how you hold an ice pick. Let me help you. Moves it around, maneuvers it. What do you think your response would be in that moment? What would you expect of Hillary in this moment? I know what I would expect, you know, it'd be something not like what actually occurred. As the story goes, Hillary simply said, thank you. Thank you. He, you know, it's like, he could have been like, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I have done? And it's like, to the, to the shock of everybody else, he simply says, thank you. They proceed to take the photo and move on with their day. Now, what's interesting here is that in this act of humility, it doesn't really matter how right or how great that other hiker was. He could have been a great and skilled climber with, with a lot of experience. The thing was, for as great as he was, his greatness appeared to diminish in that moment because of how he entered that scene. Whereas Hillary's greatness was magnified because of his humility. I think all of us get this. All of us are, you know, we're, we're attracted to people who are great and yet accessible. We don't want to be friends with people who are great and yet and really want us to know how great they are and suppress us and rub it in on us. No, we want people to be, you know, like us. And humility is influential in that way. It unlocks good influence. And, and the thing about it is it not only unlocks the privilege for influence, it also increases our capacity to influence because the humble place is the place of growth. And you know this to be true. Here's, here's, the, here's the simple reality. Nobody is an expert at everything, right? Like despite what, you know, the Facebook comments you might see, despite how you see things on the news or on social media, no one is an expert at everything, Right? What you do not know outweighs what you do know. And what you cannot do outweighs what you can do. This is why the humble place is the place of growth. It's why humility unlocks for us a greater capacity to influence. It's why you know, people like Jordan Peterson would say, assume that the person you are talking to knows something that you do not. <laughs> right? especially as pertains to life and to faith in Jesus, following him, knowing him. You know, do you have people in your life that can, that can tell you things about God that you probably have not discovered yet? Do you have people in your life that can show you a way of life, of, of living and following Jesus, you know, 24-7 that perhaps you have not experienced it? Or are you just kind of thinking, I'm, I'm good enough. I'll just kind of get there someday, you know, automatically as I live life. The humble place unlocks growth 
for us. So a, a first question then might, might be uh, to help diagnose, you know, how, what, how much do we really need, you know, this, this message would be this question, do I want to be heard more than I want to hear? You know, think, think of this, think of it this way. Evaluate your conversations you've had this week. Do you tend to be the person in a conversation who asks questions or answers questions? Because typically the people who are asking questions are the ones more interested in the other than in themselves. And that can be a clue as to, hey, am I really focused on myself? Because if I am, that might be an indicator that I have some level of pride that is unwise. Another thing might be in regards to how we treat feedback. Do I invite feedback or do I fight feedback? And when I do, you know, get feedback, how do I respond to it? Do I ask, you know, is this true or do I like this? Because what we need to be asking is, is this true? And I wrestle with this a little bit because when I receive feedback, I I don't like conceding the fact that somebody has noticed something that I have not noticed. I like to think that I'm pretty self-aware, especially when it comes to, to feedback I get that I, you know, disagree with part of it, but I know part of it is true. It's like, oh, I just don't want to, I just don't want to tell you that you are, you know, 10% right, even though I disagree with the other 90%. No, I need to see in humility, there is something for me to grow in. And that is wise. That is so wise. Humility unlocks influence, but pride limits us. But see, up until now, we could, we could kind of unpack all of this just by looking at, at how society works, looking at the fabric of reality and, and kind of observing this. You, you could hear similar principles in a TED Talk. You know, why do we need the Bible to point this out for us? Like, is, is there more than just, you know, kind of common sense sort of stuff? Yes, there is. There is a far more significant layer to humility versus pride that we need to see. And it's this, that humility unlocks blessing from God. Whereas pride locks us in to distance from God. C.S. Lewis once called pride the great sin. And his book, Mere Christianity, describes it this way, that pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. See, consider how, how Proverbs even lays this out in other places in the Bible. Proverbs 3, which says, Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble... He gives favor. In the New Testament, we see this verse used as, you know, God opposes the proud. Another place we could look to, Psalm 138, verse 6, which says, Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble. What an amazing truth. But along with that, but he keeps his distance from the proud. And we could go on and on. You know, going back to Proverbs, even Proverbs 16, which tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit, a prideful spirit, before a fall. This is why when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And you know, in this series, we're defining wisdom as God's perspective, and, and really as, as how do we apply God's perspective. And, and when we do, it's like, you know, as we lower ourselves, because that's really what the, the original wording is talking about, lowering ourselves or raising ourselves up in terms of humility versus pride. When we lower ourselves, we're able to see things the way God sees them. And that is wisdom. So another thing we might want to ask ourselves, a second sort of diagnostic question for us, and this pertains to how much we might need this message from the Lord today, is this. Am I obsessed with looking great? 
Am I obsessed with just always seeming to have the upper hand, always seeming to look you know, successful? And I think my generation and, and younger especially is almost like you know, immersed in this way because of the rise of social media and technology. Another way I could ask this question is, are you constantly curating your personal brand? And what I mean by this is that we, we use a, a lot of our, of our, of our you know, platforms in life to, to only show the best of what we have to offer the world. You know? And when we're taking a photo, you know, we'll, we'll take diff, you know, 14 different versions of that photo and then you know, spend you know, the next several minutes applying our six favorite filters and editing you know, styles to see what's going to make it look the best. And then you know, we'll spend you know, minutes and minutes you know, writing out you know, nine different versions of a caption or a comment on that before we post it. And then there's that awkward phase of anxiety where it's like, is this getting enough traction? Are enough people liking this, engaging with it, appreciating me the way I want to be appreciated? Do I delete it? Do I remove it? J just me? No? Like, look, we, we are just constantly curating how we appear before others. And if we're obsessed with looking great, we might need to see that we are struggling with some level of pride. Here's a couple of clues that, that might tip us off to this being true for us. Here's one way, to, one way to think about it would be that when we do this, do you hide your beliefs in places that you know you'll be disagreed with or rejected? And this is why pride can be dangerous in the Christian faith is because if, if I'm so concerned with what people think about me, if I'm always concerned with, with appearing a certain way, curating my look, curating what people think about me, I may never share my faith in a place where I'm going to receive pushback. But that's not the mission. That's not the heart of God for this world. Another clue that might tip us off to this is that we will only choose to do things that we're good at. You know, in college, I refused a lot of invitations to social things just because I knew what they were going to do and I knew I wouldn't look great in those settings. You know, I would never go to our annual football game around Thanksgiving because it's like, well, I'm not great at football. I don't have the size for it. I can't, you know, I haven't mastered the spiral. I'm not going to look great in that setting. And if I'm honest, it wasn't because I wasn't interested in social interaction. No, it was because I knew what if I went there, I wouldn't be able to maintain a certain appearance that I was, that I was trying to shape in others, I would, have, I would have looked dumb playing it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have looked great. Is this your place that you find yourself in? Do you only choose to do things if you know you'll succeed at them or do great at them or look good doing them? Another clue, you know, might be that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pay more attention to what we're thinking than to the needs of others. Or we'll be slow to forgive ourselves when we make a mistake, or perhaps even we're just overly competitive and cannot celebrate the success and achievement and accomplishment of others. Are you slow to praise others, to compliment others, to encourage others? Because if you are, that might reveal in you some sort of level of pride that God wants to deal with. Okay, but I know what you might be thinking. Well, I don't want to compliment somebody because I don't want to contribute to their pride. And it's like, oh, well, you know, what do we do that? How do, how do we even respond to praise? Is there a, no, is there a healthy way to respond to, to you know, the compliments of others? And I think there is. And while I don't have all of this figured out, I, I, I like to think about it in terms of where we put our focus when we receive, you know, an encouraging level of feedback. Think of it this way. And I don't have all this figured out, 
But from time to time, I do get feedback on, on my life, and, and sometimes it's in regards to you know, the, what I'm doing right now, to teaching, because it's sort of a public you know, platform. When I receive uh, you know, a compliment, and it's something that I've, I've learned is you know, when people tell me, oh, you know, that was helpful, or you know, God spoke to me in that, what, what I need to focus on is not my greatness, but my gratefulness. Because if I'm so focused on, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, versus thank you, what that's going to do is it's going to contribute to me delighting in myself rather than delighting in the compliment and what God is doing. So what I'm going to choose to say is thank you instead of, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Of course I am. Because what I know behind the scenes and that most people don't know is I know how much time and effort and prayer and dependence I have on God to make any sort of thing like that occur. Sometimes the, the greatest feedback I get is things that, that I just didn't write or, or develop or think about in, and until that very moment where it was like the Spirit of God just spoke to that person directly in a way that made sense to them. What kind of person would I be to go, yeah, you know, I, I got that. That was, all, that was all me. Thank you for that. You know, if, if we want to receive you know, praise in a healthy way instead of a prideful way, what we need to do is focus on our gratefulness, not on our greatness, and see what that does for us. Humility unlocks wisdom and comes from this deep conviction that ultimate exaltation comes from Jesus. You know, I, I, can, I, can, I can, you know, focus on, on gratefulness instead of my greatness because I, I know that the only ultimately satisfying place of, of elevation is going to come from him anyways. And then by lowering myself, I can rely on him to exalt me at the proper time. Look at how Luke 14 puts it, where Jesus says, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We see the same principle in 1 Peter 5 and James 4, and we also see it in Proverbs. Proverbs 22, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs 29, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The humble person is the person who you know, understands walking with God. Now, what is God like? What is this God like who, who, who loves humility but opposes pride? He himself demonstrates this for us. I love how John Dixon uh, describes humility. In, in his book, Humilitas, he says that humility is the noble choice to forgo your status and use your influence for the good of others before yourself. It's to hold power in service of others. And where do we see this most? In the life and the death of Jesus. I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. It's a book in the, in the New Testament that's going to help lay this out for us in a very profound way. Uh, go there, Philippians chapter 2. Look at what we, what we see. Starting in verse 3, we're told, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, stop there for just a moment. I think we need to see an important phrase here. Each of you. This is something for all of us to do. And you might be going up until this point, yeah, you know, I, I might recognize my need for it now based on some of these questions, but, but you know what? You don't understand, Just You don't understand you know, my personality style. You don't understand. I've got the wrong Myers-Briggs type. I've got the wrong Enneagram. Like, how am I supposed to do this? Look, we need to understand that this is for all of us, regardless of our stage in life, regardless of our experience in life, our success in life, our failure in life. Wherever we are, this is for us. This is for each of us. 
So again we read, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Jesus, in all of his glory, in all of his power, in all of his majesty, doesn't cling to that status, but forgoes it for the good of those he loves, for you and for me, for all of humanity, becoming obedient through humility to the point of death. And what was this death like? This was not just some sort of easy sort of death. This was the worst possible type of death and suffering and humiliation. And I don't know about you, but when I think of Jesus with all of his power, all of what he could have done, all of what he could have you know, you know, changed in the moments of this you know, terrible ordeal, with his power, with his glory, I see such immense humility in our Lord, in the one we are following, in the one that we are trying to know. Look at how Luke describes the scene on the cross. It says, two others who were criminals, who's associated with criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, listen to this, don't miss this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the midst of the injustice, being associated with criminals, dying a death that we deserved for the sins of the world, Father, forgive them. Rather than, you know what, I'm done with this, I'm going to wipe this whole thing out, I'm going I'm to get into a comfortable position, and I'm just going to fight back against the injustice of this moment. No. Father, forgive them. And this would get way, way harder, I think, if, if, it, were, if it were me in that situation. Look what happens next. And people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. I think Jesus would have every right in that moment to go, You know what? You want to see me for who I really am? I'm going to shut this whole thing down. But he doesn't do that. In Matthew's gospel, we're told, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he doesn't get defensive in the moment of his arrest. And it's like, do you not think, he's telling his followers, do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Like we're talking like 50 to 70,000 of the heavenly host coming in to break into that moment to just completely put an end to all of it. No, he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop at the arrest. He doesn't stop at the unjust trial and the baseless accusations. He doesn't stop when they spit on him. He doesn't stop when they punch him in the face. He doesn't stop when he's whipped. He doesn't stop when he has to carry the wooden beam out on the road in, in his exhaustion. He doesn't stop when he is nailed to that beam. He doesn't stop when he's you know, suffocating to death while people look and mock him and tell him, if you're really God, you wouldn't be up there. He doesn't stop. Why? Because he humbled himself 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. While we were God's enemies, God loved us and demonstrates this love for us so that he could become the atoning sacrifice for my sin and for yours, for all of the things like pride that would distance us from him. Have this mind among yourselves, we're told. Clothe yourself in this type of humility, each of you, because this is what our Lord did. And what happens as a result of this humbling, we read in Philippians 2, starting in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have this mind among yourselves. Close yourselves with this humility. Which leads me to the final question. Have you humbled yourself before this humble king, the name above all names? Look, when I, when I see pride in my life, what I see in myself is this grasping for significance. It's like, I, I need to do something to maintain my reputation. I need to do something to maintain my status. I need people to see you know, how good I am at something or, or whatever because I'm, I'm insecure. I need to feel that source of value and meaning. But what we see in Jesus through what he offers us is so much more. As we humble ourselves before him, the ultimate exaltation comes from him. It's why we see in places like Ephesians chapter 1, where we see, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look, it's in him that I can experience ultimate rest. It's in him that I can experience ultimate significance. It's in him that I can experience ultimate hope, ultimate joy, ultimate peace, ultimate confidence for the future and ultimate power for the presence. What I realize in Jesus, if I've got him in my life, if I have brought myself to him in humility and surrender and in trust, is that as he saves my life and rules my life, what I already have in Jesus is greater than anything I could gain or lose in life. And I do not need to grasp for significance with my pride, but in humility recognize where ultimate joy comes from. It comes from him. You know, it's in, it's in light of this. I, everything in the Christian faith, all of what we do is fueled by who we are. Our activity is driven by our identity, an identity earned for us by Jesus, not by our own good works. It's a gift of grace. And as we are gifted every spiritual blessing, it is no wonder then that we would see the writer Paul say these words to us from Romans chapter 12, which says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what follows is, is amazing in connection with our topic today. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. That sounds like wisdom. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Let's have this mind among ourselves. Let's clothe ourselves with this as we follow Jesus in this world, in this time. The name above all names, the trustworthy, humble King. Lord, I pray that this would be true of us. I pray that as difficult it is is to, to recognize maybe the error of our ways, help us to give careful thought to our steps to realize who you are and what you've done for us and how we have to live in response to that. Help us to build our lives on your love for the good of others, the good of ourselves, and for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.